0: In Jerusalem, we are reminded that God has chosen to dwell eternally, not only in heaven, but also atop one mountain in Judea, which in turn reminds us of the ongoing miracle that is the Jewish story and the presence of God in it. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 205, Surprised by Joy and Jewish Praise of God. I'm Mayor Soloveger. In his memoir titled Surprised by Joy, the Christian writer C.S. Lewis describes his path from atheism to faith. The transformation came, he writes, through an emotion that Lewis calls joy, which he differentiates from other feelings of happiness. As he puts it, quote, joy is distinct not only from pleasure in general, but even from aesthetic pleasure. It must have the stab, the pang, the inconsolable longing, end quote. Lewis describes how throughout his early life, He had thought this experience was an end in itself, but then he realized the opposite. Joy, he came to conclude, pointed to outside himself, to an object of longing that he first thought of as something, and only later understood was someone. Lewis writes, quote, Joy itself, considered simply as an event in my own mind, turned out to be of no value at all. All the value lay in that of which joy was the desiring. And that object, quite clearly, was no state of my own mind or body at all. In a way, I had proved this by elimination. I had tried everything in my own mind and body. As it were, asking myself, is it this you want? Is it this? Last of all, I had asked if joy itself was what I wanted. And, labeling it aesthetic experience, had pretended I could answer yes. But that answer, too, had broken down. Inexorably, joy proclaimed, you want, I myself am your want of, something other, outside. Not you nor any state of you." End quote. "Joy," to paraphrase Lewis further, was for him a signpost to one's root in the absolute, to one's longing for the absolute. It is, I believe, C.S. Lewis who can help us approach joy in the psalms, as well as the praise which can be found throughout this biblical book, a book that gives us some of the most joyfully expressed words in the entire Hebrew Bible. We will now consider the Psalms of praise in the book that we study together. Of course, psalms such as these are everywhere in the book. Joy is one of the most prominent themes in the psalms. And it is the psalms that give the Jewish people their central prayers of praise. Psalms comprise the psuche de zimra, verses of song that make up the beginning of every morning's prayer service, as well as hallel, the psalms of praise on the holidays. What is the inspiration expressed in these psalms for the praise put forward? Some of these psalms are expressions of gratitude for salvation, such as Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor has turn aside to lies. So David writes, But many psalms are clearly the result, not of salvation, but rather of exultantly experiencing the presence of God in the everyday world. Thus Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp; sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in his storehouses. Here in this psalm, praise is given to God in wonder at the world God made and in awe of the divine presence one senses within it. The righteous are called to praise God because it is the natural reaction to the experience of the divine. And indeed, it is the righteous that react to God with praise for praise of the praiseworthy is itself a sign of righteousness. Lewis, in his reflections on the Psalms, describes how he suddenly realized that, quote, the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. The good critics found something to praise in many imperfect works. The bad ones continually narrowed the list of books we might be allowed to read. The healthy and unaffected man, even if luxuriously brought up, and widely experienced in good cookery, could praise a very modest meal. The dyspeptic and the snob found fault with all. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. End quote. This is a wonderful phrase. Praise is inner health made audible. And if this is true about the praiseworthy in general, it is, of course, all the more true about our praise of God. The next psalm is also about praise, but if we look carefully, another theme introduces itself. David says, "I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together." This psalm opens by describing the precise moment in David's life when it is said. We shall discuss that tomorrow. For now. Note the shift. At first, David speaks in first-person singular. I will bless the Lord. His praise shall be in my mouth. But then he suddenly shifts to the plural. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. In Hebrew, this sentence is The verse marks communal moments. It is sung as the Torah is taken out of the ark and paraded to its place in the synagogue, before we read from it as a community. And this very same verse is, for the Talmud, the source for why Jews that ate together joined together as a group for grace after meals. Those that praise God seek to join together, seek to praise God together. And thus another reason for praise introduces itself. Not only because God deserves praise, though of course he does, but also because praise is central to our own joy that is reflected in our experience of God and our longing for him. And moreover, this joyful experience is heightened and deepened when this praise is given together with others. Lewis puts it this way, quote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The perfect hearer died a year ago. This is so, Lewis continues, even when our expressions are inadequate, as of course they usually are. But how if one... Could really and fully praise even such things to perfection, utterly get out in poetry or music or paint the upsurge of appreciation which almost bursts you, then indeed the object would be fully appreciated, and our delight would have attained perfect development. The worthier the object, the more intense this delight would be. If, continues Lewis, it were possible for a created soul fully, I mean up to the full measure conceivable in a finite being, to appreciate, that is, to love and delight in, the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude. End quote. This is beautiful, and it is with this that Lewis explains praise in the Psalms. But we must go a bit further. In a famous insight that is both similar to and different from Lewis, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik famously argued that the descriptions of the truest form of joy Simcha in the Bible occurs when Israelites found themselves lifnei Hashem, in the presence of God. It is, Rabbi Soloveitchik argued, this sensing of the absolute of God and our rootedness in Him that inspires the deepest and most profound joy. While this can be achieved in a variety of ways, for Hebrew Scripture, this experience of rejoicing before God is ideally achieved on the three holidays, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, in the temple, in Jerusalem, with Israel celebrating before God. Note that this experience takes place on earth, in an earthly city, with Israelites doing earthly things, standing together in the temple, feasting together in Jerusalem, experiencing God's presence in Jerusalem. And here a real difference presents itself. One book by C.S. Lewis is titled Letters to Malcolm, featuring reflections on prayer written in the form of letters. One of these describes the true joy of heaven, to which for Lewis all joy on earth ultimately points, a joy that for Lewis pales in comparison to life on earth. Comparing the joy of heaven to moments of frivolity on earth, Lewis writes as follows, I do not think that the life of heaven bears any analogy to play or dance in respect of frivolity. I do think That while we are in this valley of tears, cursed with labor, hemmed round with necessities, tripped up with frustrations, doomed to perpetual plannings, puzzlings, and anxieties, certain qualities that must belong to the celestial condition have no chance to get through, can project no image of themselves except in activities which for us here and now are frivolous. For surely we must suppose the life of the blessed to be an end in itself, indeed the end, to be utterly spontaneous, to be the complete reconciliation of boundless freedom with order, with the most delicately adjusted, Supple, intricate, and beautiful order. How can you find any image of this in the serious activities, either of our natural or of our present spiritual life? And then Lewis adds, no, Malcolm. It is only in our hours off, only in our moments of permitted festivity that we find an analogy. Dance and game are frivolous, unimportant down here, for down here is not their natural place. Here they are a moment's rest from the life we were placed here to live. But in this world, everything is upside down. That which, if it could be prolonged here, would be a truancy, is likest that which, in a better country, is the end of ends. Joy is the serious business of heaven. End quote. Thus, for Lewis, festivity on earth is a pale imitation of the truest joy, which is experienced only in heaven. Traditional Judaism, of course, does believe in heaven, in a spiritual afterlife. But Judaism does not see this world as Lewis did. It is not, as Lewis once put it, a shadow lance. Judaism acknowledges, of course, that evil is rampant in this world. How could the Jewish people, given its history, not understand this? But that for Judaism makes the presence of the divine in this world all the more exhilarating. And it is therefore during the festivities of the sacred holidays, marking the miracles of Jewish history, that for Hebrew scripture we truly experience. The joy of standing before God, and especially in the temple in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, we are reminded that God has chosen to dwell eternally, not only in heaven, but also atop one mountain in Judea, which in turn reminds us of the ongoing miracle that is the Jewish story and the presence of God in it. Not for nothing does David conclude Psalm 33 as follows, Our soul hopeth in the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our hearts shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. Differences aside, I can still say that as a Jew, I have learned a great deal from Lewis's interpretation of Jewish scripture, and of the role that praise plays in it. Strikingly, a letter from Lewis was, several years ago, discovered, that captured his reflections about the nature of joy. A letter made all the more mysterious, because it was written to someone whom Lewis's biographers, I believe, do not know. Lewis differentiates between standard pleasure and joy. Joy, he writes, quote, jumps under one's ribs and tickles down one's back and makes one forget meals and keeps one delightedly sleepless overnights. nights. It shocks one awake when the other puts one to sleep. End quote. For the Psalms, joy in the presence of God is one of the profoundest pleasures that there can be. And it is through the Psalms that Jews express the joy of feeling the presence of God here on Earth. This is Mayor Soloveitch, looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.